you're going to need a bigger boat. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time, since it is the end of summer here, well, it's really the height of summer here in Oregon. It hasn't hasn't significantly rained in quite some time, uh, which is nice. That's what passes for summer here. And uh, so we thought it would be a good idea to cover a summer blockbuster movie. And what better summer blockbuster movie to talk about than kind of the prototypical summer blockbuster movie, Jaws from 1975, which is directed by Steven Spielberg and starring... Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw and Lorraine Gary, and uh, based on a novel by Peter Benchley from 1974, 1974, uh, of the same name, although of many uh, potential titles, I might have to look up a few of them. <laughs> um, some of them are listed in the in the booklet that came with the Blu-ray that I bought. Oh, very cool. Oh, nice. yes. I'm trying to think if there's anything that we've done where the combination of the sales of the book and the box office of the movie comes aiming anywhere close adjusted for inflation. Maybe Jurassic park, Jurassic park. Yeah. I think, I, I don't think know if the book probably, did as well, but I would say the movie probably was up there. Jurassic park was definitely a, a bestseller. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd be curious about that. Um, we need, we need, we need a research department. <laughs> Other than Colin, I mean, we, we I have thought Colin. that's what Colin was for. We need you got We need adjunct research staff. Staff, you're the glue. Colin's research, and I'm the guy who drinks and makes stupid puns. Because uh, this was a very popular book and yes, a very right. popular movie, so it should be fun to talk about. Um, yeah. Prior experience with uh, the material. Let's start with the book, Colin. I had never read this book. Okay, James. I had no idea it was based on a book until like a month ago. Really? Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had not, I had also not read this book. This is one of the, the books that was in the collection of books that Seth bought, but didn't read. So <laughs> I had, I've had it on my nook for a number of years. Uh, then movie. The, one of the reasons we're doing this is because this one was on someone's movie list of shame. So, yeah, movie list of shame. <laughs> yes. I thought we were doing this because it was adapted <sighs> science fiction. Well, that too. I guess I guess we probably should uh, jump through that hoop right now. Uh, is Jaws science fiction? I mean, marine biology is a science. Right. And the shark's definitely fictional. The shark is definitely <laughs> fictional. It is not not a, a good portrayal of shark behavior. Well, I think I think, Colin, you, you argued at some point when we were talking about this that Jaws is definitely a horror movie and therefore, you know, in, in the it's genre fiction, right? So. Yes. So, so you misportray something that's real and uh, throw in a horror element and we'll cover it. Nice. Yes. So anyhow, th it was on Colin's list of shame. Um, James, when did you first encounter this one? Too young to remember. <laughs> I watched it yeah. when I was a kid and it scared the crap out of me. I never went in the water. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, I went into the Navy like 14 years later or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, but you were surrounded by a big metal ship. This is true. Yeah, but yeah. big metal ships sometimes... Go under the water. Well, actually, you were explicitly yeah. going in one that was under the water. <laughs> we, we went underwater on purpose. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> we actually did do a, uh, a, a swim call in the middle of the Pacific, uh, approximately where the Pacific and the equator cross. It was part mm. of our golden showback ceremony to oh. have a swim call. And uh, so part of part of doing swim calls is that they have uh, shark watches. Huh. And uh, the guy up on the conning tower gets the, you know, the 
the rifle and he's ordered if he sees a shark, he shoots the farthest guy out. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Just chum the water. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anywho, so you you have been familiar with this one a long time. Yes, that's that's kind of the way it is with me. I remember being yeah. fascinated with this one uh, at mm-hmm. the video store. Remember the video store? Those yes. were good days, mm-hmm. good times. I I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of browsing of the horror section at the and video other store. sections. I'm sure that, that was behind a the, there were like saloon doors <laughs> behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, um, to that section. No. But no, I was like, I had a morbid fascination with the horror movies, but I was always too afraid to actually check any of them out. Plus my parents wouldn't have let me, but, uh, but Jaws was always one right. that I remember seeing it like at a birthday party when I was like nine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, James, like I'd yeah. be at the, at like the high school swimming pool and like, Hey, there's vents here. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so, um, and we were, yeah. we were always in, we, we, we all took swimming lessons for couple of years mm-hmm. just because there's a lot of lakes in alaska it's a good idea to be able to save your life if you fall over uh, the side of a boat yep yep so yeah when i took some lessons as a kid we did it at a lake near our house and i it was one of those lakes where you, you can't see the bottom you know it's deep mm-hmm. enough and anything could be down there i'm always like uh what's what's down there <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> something brushes your leg and you freak out uh-huh <laughs> yep yeah, Jaws is one of those. Uh, I was just talking with my sister a little while ago about this um, this evening, and she said, "Yeah, it's one of those cultural osmosis movies where like you don't have to have mm-hmm. seen it to know that you know, da dum 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 dum, which is awesome. It's insane. Yes, <laughs> yeah. speaks to the beauty of John Williams' music. Yep. Yes, but we'll get back to that when we talk about the movie. Uh, so probably a good idea to talk about the book. Yeah. So the uh, the copy that I got from the library via Colin. Thank you. You're welcome. Had a, had an introduction written in 2005, I think by the hmm. author, you know, oh, cool. but obviously, you know, 30 years later, right? 30 plus years later. And uh, <laughs> the introduction I thought was really good because he, he talked about how, um, first of all, he wished he wishes in hindsight, he hadn't have actually written the book the way that he wrote it because he <laughs> hates the bad rap that he gave sharks. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Particularly great whites. Um, but he was really inspired because of writing the book and the movie, despite the, the kind of cultural fear it created of sharks, but it also inspired quite a few people, uh, into the environmental, environmental and marine sciences. Yeah. And he got like a ton of letters for it and stuff like that. And oh, that's cool. So I thought that was cool. And then at the very end of the introduction, he talks about when he first met the screenwriters for the movie and all the screeners are like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut this. We're going to cut this, this, and this. And <laughs> in the introduction, Peter eventually is like, I bet you didn't even know the movie or the book had this, this, and this, which I'm sure I'm saying this because I'm sure we're going to get into it. Um, but I just thought that was funny because I'm like, I had no idea those would existed in the book because that's mm-hmm. not in the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just made me, it cracked me up as well. So I was, it, yeah. yeah, it stood him out in my head. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Alan Ricks, one of our patrons, uh, commented about Jaws uh, on our post on the patron page for The Black Cauldron. He says, as for the Jaws paperback, let me relate my story with it. In fifth grade, I was nine going on ten. My very Christian public school teacher had a rack of paperbacks for kids to read. I saw Jaws, the paperback there, and liked the movie, so I pulled it out and began reading the rather hefty tome. 
If you think the book is just like the movie, which my teacher probably did, and that's why it was there, you have a rude rude awakening coming. (laughs) Besides besides a mafia subplot and a cat's head being twisted off, which is totally absent from the film, you get some unexpected sleaze. Like, Mm -hmm. it affected me so much. I still remember the chapter where a cheating wife describes thinking about herself being caught by getting aroused in a car with her lover, getting into a wreck, and everyone seeing her, quote, glistening labia and his stiff rod. (laughs) on their now dead bodies lying in the road i still laugh about that teacher who would lecture me about how dungeons and dragons was satanic and then i got jaws off her book rack (laughs) so quality comment yep that is the this and this and this that i was talking about (laughs) yes that's what i thought there was a lot of tudescence in that book there sure was um kind of a rude awakening like like alan said if you're expecting a pg even like a 1975 pg when you read the book because 1975 PG is a lot more permissive than 2020 PG. Um, Cause right now, you know, the PG rating is almost a G rating now because we've got PG 13. Mm-hmm. Did you open another beer? Yep. Well, I've got a styrofoam cup here with coffee or something in it, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't crumple it. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah. What do we think of the book? Colin? I, I chose to skip a large amount of the book. Uh, so you didn't nice. read that uh, particular <laughs> statement? Yeah, I must have gone over 30 or 35 pages because okay. I just didn't. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of comfort reading. I'm doing a lot of comfort watching. And I did not want to read about this lady fantasizing about cheating on her husband. Yeah. And so, yeah, I skipped a big chunk of that. And I don't, doesn't sound like I missed her very much. Well, no. you definitely did miss something, uh, it, whether it's something that <laughs> you, you're glad you missed or not glad you missed. So that is something else. And yeah. I think you're not, you're glad you missed it. I am. You didn't miss yeah. any poignant parts of the plot. No. And I mean, no. Alan mentions that this is a, a hefty tome. And I think, you know, for a nine or 10 year old, it is. But it's not a super long book. No, 278 no. pages. Yeah. So it's you know I, it, it, there's some filler in it and uh, and some of that filler is mafia subplot and and cats having their heads mm-hmm. twisted off <laughs> and uh, other is, yeah that, that might be like a few pages though <laughs> yeah well it does make you it tries to understand why the mayor and the 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 city board the city council is so demanding about keeping the beaches open yes um, although watching the movie and maybe I'm jumping ahead too far. Uh, that I don't think you need a subplot to explain why you're going to sacrifice a bunch of people or, or, or be so right. scared that you might lose your town because mm-hmm. nobody's going to come to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say that the, the mafia subplot, which is, I mean, it's there, but it's kind of barely there. There's, it's not really mentioned that much other than there's the threat with mm-hmm. the, the gr- gruesome cat death, uh, yep. which, you know, despite my, antipathy towards cats that's not cool no (laughs) um you could kind of retcon it into the movie and say we just didn't hear about it but that was the reason behind the mayor wanting to open things up so yeah well that he had gotten so badly leveraged with the mafia that the only way for him to get his money back was to try and sell buy a bunch of land with them yeah and the land values would crater if this town doesn't open yeah all right what else do we talk about about the book I mean, you know, kind of the the beginnings of the book are that that Peter Benchley was fascinated by sharks. Mm-hmm. And and so that's like like you said, James, right, that he regretted mm-hmm. that 
that people were kind of scared of sharks and afraid to go in the water after reading the book. Um, and, right. and so it's cool that, that then there, be, there came a movement of, of people being fascinated by sharks mm-hmm. also because of mm-hmm. it in the movie. Um, so, you know, I think overall it ended up being a positive, but yeah, the book and the movie did scare a lot of people out of the water. <laughs> in the <70s. laughs> Yeah. Later that night after we watched the jaws two or jaws, um, I watched two additional shark documentaries hour piece oh, really? <laughs> and fell asleep on the couch <laughs> oh, about jaws or about sharks no about sharks yeah great oh, okay. whites in particular yeah. oh nice i think great whites are absolutely terrifying yes i mean there there are some sharks that i think oh those are cool looking or you know hammerheads where you're like what um, you know <laughs> right what, what what is wrong with your face <laughs> um, but uh but great work great whites with the they've just got that evil looking mouth <laughs> And the eyes. Don't forget the eyes. And the eyes. Yeah, like a doll's eyes. You know, as popular as the book was, I, it's so overshadowed by the movie that it, it's it's really hard to talk just just about the book, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, we could kind of just spin off into talking about both, and, and we can mention if something's particular to the book. But I will I will say I enjoyed the book. I thought it was – it it's a good summertime read. It, it was easy to read um, as long mm-hmm. as you don't mind the unexpected sleaze in it. Right. Uh, you know, a lot more language. So oh, yeah. definitely, I mean, it would be rated R just for the language in the book. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that the characters are a little bit different in the book too. Not just the wife, obviously, yeah. but I mean, the sheriff is a little bit. I mean, well, yeah, no, in the book he's an Islander, right? Yeah. Um, right. And the wife's not. I don't. I don't know about. I think it's reversed actually in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Hooper. Hooper. I didn't picture the same Hooper in the book as I did no. in the movie. In the book, I think he was a bit more. And actually, clean cut, you know, kind of that more. I picture him; he's younger and more, yeah, like, kind of clean mm-hmm. cut, right? Mm-hmm. Quite like the guy that they were looking for in the in that documentary we watched. <laughs> oh, Jan Michael Vincent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's what they look like in the book. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, lots of times, you know, you think of books as being able to do a better job with character development, and there's some of that here but i don't like a lot of the development um with mm-hmm. with uh what's her name chef brody's wife uh, yeah brody's wife there yeah, you go ellen brody <laughs> um okay. yeah she you know just the the whole discontent that she had about stepping down in her lifestyle and the, you know brody wasn't a lot of fun in terms of he didn't want to go to the kind of parties she wanted to go with and he he's described as being a little bit of this uh, a stick in the mud you know who who isn't willing to subject himself to those kind of parties mm-hmm. that that she wants to do. He doesn't want to live that life. And so she's unhappy. And so that's one of the pretexts for, for why she wants a, her fling with the exciting Hooper. But yes. right. it well, certainly and, doesn't and Hooper, justify it. They have history. Hooper oh, is the 10-year-old right. younger brother of one of her old boyfriends. Mm-hmm. I forgot about right. that. So there's yeah. this kind of like, you know, older woman, younger man thing going on. Yeah. Does she still have what it takes to be mm. found attractive by somebody? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, move on to, uh, I mean, did we get your opinion of the book, James? Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was good. Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed reading it. Uh, it was not a, not a slog. So that's good. I did yeah. kind of slog through all the fluff part. I'm like, okay, when is this going to be over? <laughs> that being the right. parts that Colin skipped. Ironically enough, I think you could have, I think skipping it is very like, there's a discrete line where that part begins and ends and skipping it has no effect whatsoever on the rest of the plot. 
No. <laughs> Besides uh, just knowing yeah. that it happened. <laughs> and and understanding because this is one of the major differences, right? There's there's never really any tension between Brody and Hooper in the movie. They they get along right from the beginning. Right. They're on the same. Yeah, page. they're they're pretty chummy in the yeah. In the and and so movie. so then the only thing that you have in terms of the interpersonal conflict is with is once Quint is introduced. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, antipathy between a working man like Quint and a silver spoon guy like Hooper. Right. So wanna just talk about the movie? Let's talk about the movie. Yeah. Well, yes. we should mention we should mention that the the hardcover book of Jaws was on the New York Times bestseller list for like forty weeks or something, but it never right. made it to number one because of Watership Down. Watership Down <laughs> prevented yeah. it. Oh my goodness! But there was a Watership Down in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I just keep thinking it's funny you mentioned you skipped that part, Colin, because uh, usually I don't skip things even if I don't want to read them because I'm afraid I might miss something. But in this case, like you literally skip that entire part. And as long as you just understand that it happened, that's all that really matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, later on in the boat, uh, yeah. hop, they're all, all three guys are fighting against one another. And I think yeah. that's a great change yeah. they made in the movie where they decided to have it be more like a bonding time between the three guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Hopper and Brody are kind of bonding before they get on the ship because they're investigating to make sure that it's really the right shark that was that they caught and were in, and killed. Mm-hmm. But once they're on the ship, there is this, this bonding that happens um, that, that would not have happened mm-hmm. if, you know, Mm-mm. Hooper had slept with Brody's wife. Right. And, right. and Brody having suspecting it the whole time they're on the boat. Mm-hmm. So eventually received a $1,000 advance for the book. Yeah. So the hardcover book sold 200,000 copies and it was on the bestseller list for 44 weeks, but he sold the paperback rights for $575,000 in 1974 which is a lot of money and then then yeah it sold two and a half million copies in the first three weeks in paperback (laughs) so oh my gosh that's insane yeah and so it says at the time of peter benchley's passing in 2006 jaws had sold over 20 million copies so yeah that's uh (laughs) that's That's insane (laughs) crazy now the movie you know famously was a production nightmare and there's lots of there's lots of uh, documentaries that you can watch on that. I'll put a link to one right. that was on YouTube in the show notes. And it's such an interesting case too, Colin, for for our you know continue continuing uh, six year argument about adaptation. Uh, <laughs> and and sometimes it's you want to psychoanalyze why were these changes made? And in this case, a lot of the changes made to the movie were because they couldn't get the darn. Uh, shark shark to work (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so spielberg says in one of the documentaries you know i was feeling really good because 33 days into the shoot we were right on schedule because we were doing all the stuff on land (laughs) (laughs) and uh and he decided you know that it would be best to go up to martha's vineyard and record in the ocean instead of you know doing it in a tank somewhere and uh and that was a problem because of weather and and a lot of factors Mm -hmm. and like like the one thing I remember reading was that the mechanical shark worked just fine in freshwater, but then in saltwater, it, you know, there's right. additional factors there, right? Different yeah. buoyancy and, and all kinds of stuff. So, well, no, I think in the freshwater, they actually had electronics in the shark mm. that weren't affected. Yeah. Right. To actuate it. Mm-hmm. And then when they got it to the ocean, well, guess what? Saltwater. <laughs> Bye-bye. <Yeah. laughs> they redesigned the entire thing to use just pneumatics and no electronic yeah. actuators. Yeah. But in fact, yeah, didn't this, they have uh, had three sharks, one shark that moved left, one shark that moved right, and one shark that 
you know, had jaws that went up and down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, who was it the other day in our uh, group uh, text that posted the thing about the, the last surviving Bruce? Oh, that was that you did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to put that. I think they actually had, I think that was a fourth one. They had four shark, four, okay. four sharks. Yeah. It could have been. Yeah. Because yeah, they got the fourth one. That's the one that they blew up, I think. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, the, the shark's name is Bruce, named after um, yeah. Spielberg's lawyer. Right. <laughs> yes, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yep, um, but you know, I I realized when watching the documentaries and finding that out that that's where the name of the shark in Finding Nemo comes Finding from. Nemo, yep. You know, yep. <laughs> what a couple of bots like you doing out so late? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, so, and so I, go ahead. I was going to say another enlightening part of that documentary was that they had so since they had so many production problems with the shark it they didn't get to feature the shark as much as spielberg initially wanted to yeah and so it changed the entire direction of the movie Mm -hmm. and it went from being kind of a shark featured adventure flick i think to more of a thriller flick Mm -hmm. right yeah and it it reminded me in part so that actually so both this book and movie uh relationship remind me of jurassic park Sure. And I, I figured at some point you might, you might bring this up, but I think so Seth and I both appreciated Jurassic Park for its streamlining of the storyline from the book. Yeah. Right. And that happened in this movie as well. And mm-hmm. I think it may, it got me to thinking if they had made Jaws like they had wanted to, I think it would have ended right. up more like Jurassic Park than what it actually ended up being mm. uh, kind of a thriller adventure movie instead of just a straight adventure movie. More shark, you know, like in Jurassic Park, you got lots of dinosaurs, right? And, you yeah. do, but I, I, you know, I'll jump in here and say that I feel like Spielberg obviously learned something from Jaws. And so yeah. that's why you don't see the T-Rex when they first pull up to that the Tyrannosaur paddock. Right. Yeah. Because he knows it's better to, to hold mm-hmm. that for later and build the tension before you actually yeah. see it. Well, and the yeah. Velociraptor at the very beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All screened off by all the greenery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, it just totally reminded me of Jurassic Park and how Jurassic Park incorporates both of Jaws' past and future, kind of what Spielberg learned and what he tried to do. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, uh, like you were saying, yeah, exactly. It's suspenseful in the beginning. And then mm-hmm. there's the giant dinosaur reveal and the dinosaurs go and kick butt and they're right. freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. And it's, it's kind of the, here's Spielberg where the special effects really limit what he can do. Mm-hmm. Because because you know when they bought the rights to the movie, whatever whatever the guy's name is, it's uh, Richard Zanuck. You know they Richard they bought the rights to the movie and were like, "Can we do this?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, we got to buy it. We got to buy it, and then find a director, and they'll tell us <laughs> if we can do it. Um, so you, you have Jaws, where it's the situation where the effects really dictated what they could do, and then Jurassic Park, where the effects were not really an issue. Right? It was the the effects right. were all there, all right. available. And it was just a matter of choosing what kind of effects to use. Mm-hmm. And so that's an example of, of Spielberg being able to put whatever he wants on the screen versus Jaws. And they're both good examples. So Right. Yeah. But yeah, like all the stuff with the barrels, you know. Oh, yeah. How, how is it going to be compelling to look at barrels in the water? But it totally is. <laughs> well, when you're on a disabled boat and the barrels are where the shark is has been recently and yeah. tells you which way it's going and how it's coming and where it is and where it isn't. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's Yeah. Yeah. Well, so another thing that is interesting to me about this movie is it's 1975, right? And we've done 
I think Rollerball was 1975 as well. And movies <laughs> uh, in the 1970s yeah. <laughs> were paced differently than than they are now. But right. Jaws really moves along. And it's very fast paced. Yeah, I was especially I was compared surprised. to its successor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we'll get back to that. Um, because I was talking with my wife and she's like, I didn't even remember that there were three attacks in the first 30 minutes of the right. movie. And, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't remember that either. I thought there was a long time between the first two, um, but mm-hmm. it gets, gets right to them. So do you think the movie held up well, 30, 45 years later? Yeah. 45 years later. I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought too. And mm-hmm. I don't know how many movies you could say about that, that were made in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> Since you bring up rollerball. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. in terms of the effects, right, the the worst practical effects are still tangible. And so while the mm-hmm. shark doesn't look completely realistic, it's completely good enough for the purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, and the rest yeah. of the story is told so well that you can suspend disbelief and not look for what doesn't yeah. work on the shark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also fascinating to me that it's sort of two different movies because it's it's the more kind of fast paced stuff at the beginning with all the all the stuff on land and all the attacks on the beaches and then it moves into the the part on the sea and it's a very different movie at that point it slows down quite a bit mm-hmm. um but that's where you get for me the really good character development of that of that uh right group right mm-hmm. of Hooper and Quint and Brody and i think Colin you had said that you liked Quint better in the book yeah i did okay why well, really? yeah he wasn't quite as antagonistic. I mean, he was True. he was very selfish. He basically had them over a barrel. You're you're going to yep. hire me for this amount of money, paid in cash at the beginning of the day every day. It's yep. my boat. You'll do what I tell you to do, or else. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And movie Did... movie Quint is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. He is kind of like well. that. Yeah. Well, and there's there's some of that too. Um, if you watch any of the behind the scenes materials, with uh, the antagonism between Robert <laughs> Shaw and Dreyfus. and Richard Dreyfus. Um, yeah, including including James that one <laughs> that one part in there. Colin, did you ever watch it? Uh, I saw so I borrowed your Blu-ray, and I think that the okay. YouTube video you guys are talking about was serialized there in a bunch of chunks. So yeah, yes. So there was the one part where it was talking about how you know Robert Shaw was was coming onto the set, three sheets to the wind a lot of the mm-hmm. times. Right. And at some point, he handed he handed a, a glass of scotch to Dreyfus, and Dreyfus just threw it into the ocean. <laughs> and and they said and that was the shot heard the around shot. the world <laughs> right <laughs> i thought yeah. you were going to bring up the example where uh shaw kind of had dreyfus's number he would say no. yeah uh you can't climb that climb that mast and jump out of the crow's nest right and dreyfus would get all irate and well, well of course i can mm-hmm. but he couldn't or you know you can't do 20 clean push-ups oh yes i can mm-hmm. right <laughs> and he couldn't yeah and it was just he kept like bear baiting him all the time yeah so i mean i really like the quint character in the movie i think he's just he's a classic cinema character um if for no other reason than that amazing uss indianapolis his silicon story yeah right that was fantastic and uh and that's an interesting thing in the, the little booklet talks about the the development of that where it was written by somebody who's actually uncredited for it and then wow. there was collaboration with with Shaw and with um, Roy Scheider. I think Roy Scheider was the one who contributed the doll's eyes uh, line, but uh, they had he had he had turned in like a the guy who wrote it had turned in like a ten page speech. The soliloquy, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. and Shaw edited it down to five, and that's <laughs> what we ended up getting. But you know this is this is where we should probably turn it over to our 
our naval veteran <laughs> to talk about that because you know i had never heard of that story when i saw the movie for the first time oh really yeah. oh yeah i knew i knew exactly what he was talking about <laughs> yeah so we heard we heard about it in boot camp i think i remember uh yeah because it think kind of hinted... go ahead yeah it kind of changed a little bit of the training that they give now in basic training for uh survival at sea uh-huh. um i might have this a little bit wrong in, as far as how they used to do it but I think basically it was common knowledge that when you, the boat sank, you would kind of get clear of the boat and stay separated from everybody else to mm-hmm. increase your chance of surviving for whatever reason, uh, you know, mm. grab something and hold on or whatever. Uh, but in, in boot camp after that, they taught people, they taught us to, first of all, uh, you hold on to your life vest when you jump off the boat instead of wearing it. Cause you won't, you can actually injure yourself from a 50 foot or a hundred foot height jumping off a boat with your life vest on. Mm. Cause it's going to go up least... around your ears when you go in. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and you could lose it. It might slide yeah. right off you because of the force of that jump. Um, so you, you hold on to that jump in the water, uh, you know, arms, leg, arms crossed, legs crossed, hug your thing and go. Um, <laughs> and, but then they, they teach everybody to actually get together and interlock arms into a giant circle and never let go. And so in theory, what, what that does is you, it creates you as a giant object compared to the shark uh-huh. and the sharks will just try and bump you because the sharks, that's how they kind of operate in the first place. They, they bump you first. They don't actually ever go right for you. Hmm. They bump you first and then maybe they'll take a bite and then they'll try and pull you under and drown you. Yeah. But if you're all interlocked elbows and then if you hold on, they won't be able to pull you under and drown right. you. Um, and in boot camp, we had we had this test at one of the very last uh, stages of, I think it was like you know like last one or two nights of boot camp. You go through this whole battle sequence thing, mm-hmm. and um, one of the parts of it is you get, you get up to the high dive, everybody jumps off. Uh, we actually had a person, someone had to volunteer to pretend to be injured, and that was mm-hmm. me. <laughs> <laughs> I pretended to be injured, took life vest, and I just floated for the entire test. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> but you they didn't had make a that jump. Shark bait. No, I, I still took the jump because it was awesome. I didn't want to have to bother with treading water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but they had navy divers in the water pretending to be sharks, and they'll go around and randomly try and pull people under. Oh. And okay. if, if they successfully pulled somebody under, you failed the test. Everybody failed the test. Right. If they pulled anybody wow. under, so fascinating. Yeah. That's good stuff. That was, See, that, cool. That's the, yeah. the extra value you get on taking to your reader. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And, you know, uh, the Indianapolis was, I think, the single largest loss at sea of any naval, of U.S. naval history anyway. Because um, hmm. what, they, I think, the, they had 1,100 people go overboard and only 300 were left when they found them. Yeah. And it only took three days. 800 people died in three days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you got to watch and listen to it happen. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> yeah. On the behind the scenes stuff that I was watching, you know, it it had some guys on who who were from the Indianapolis, and and they really liked that 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 story was told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg also in one of the behind the scenes, one of the documentary scenes, talked about how a lady came up to him dragging her little boy and said, "You made this movie. You explained to him that it's fake and that he can go swimming now." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The other thing, <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff was the, uh, the mom who comes up and belts Brody because he didn't shut the beaches down. Um, like right. for 
the rest of her life she had people coming up to her asking asking her to hit them <laughs> it's a so yeah we, we could talk so much about it right it was a fantastically successful movie it was the first yeah. summer blockbuster uh it was the largest grossing movie until star wars two years later uh it made over 40 times its budget yeah and we've been talking about it right it has literally uh, saturated our culture yeah where people are afraid of swimming there's a jaws convention that still goes on. There are fan sites that are being developed all the time. Um, yeah. it, it was the first begin. It was the first collaboration of Spielberg and John Williams, and that just right. keeps going and going and being so good all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so. The other thing we haven't talked about is the the relevance of the should we close the beaches or not, and uh, it's fascinating uh, how. Not prescient, but how similar the situation is where where Brody is saying to the mayor, if we shut down the beaches for, you know, now we might save the end of the summer. Right. But if we open them, then we could lose the whole summer. And that's that's been the, the problem with COVID all along. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shut down early. Um, and like like James, I think, uh, quoted Max Brooks uh, yep. from an article we were looking at <laughs> talking about COVID and saying, you know, we could have we could have beat this thing in three weeks if we had done it right. Well, if I remember right, right Max Brooks is on a, uh, a task force uh, yeah. to talk about how to deal with problems just like this because of what mm-hmm. he wrote in World War Z and some of his other books. Yeah. 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 He was on the think tank task force uh, for the White House to come up with contingencies for yeah. things just like this. Yeah. So I was amazed when reading the book that, yeah. you know, a guy comes up to Brody and says, essentially, I have a constitutional right to swim and you can't stop me. <laughs> this is just like the the lady who threw a tantrum in Costco because they were making her put a mask on. I have a constitutional right to not wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, we kind of have both sides of it, right? There's the people are afraid of shutting things down in order to stop something bad from happening, right? And then during the shutdown, people are saying, "Why well, I have my rights and I can go out and do what I want." And yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. at least in Jaws, if you did that, you risked yourself or maybe your own family. Whereas mm-hmm. with COVID-19, COVID you might infect somebody else and kill them. Right. Yeah. Could be a perfect stranger. Yeah. Yeah. I think the movie, well, the movie doesn't totally let the mayor off the hook, right? Because if anything, the book gives him another reason for being antagonistic, right? Right. Or the movie like has him go up mm-hmm. and practically bribe somebody to get in the water. Oh, yeah. Right. So right. First, he convinces Brody to keep the beaches open. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they're going to run a watch all around. Mm-hmm. And then he goes up mm-hmm. to another, I think it was someone else on the, the city council and says, you guys need to get in the water. Right. 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 And I'm thinking, why don't you, <laughs> why don't <laughs> you go in the water? I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the movie, you know, at some point the mayor makes a good point after they, the fishermen catch that tiger shark, right? Where Hooper just wants to open it up. You know, yeah, let's do it right like, here. Let, let's not do that, you know, on the dock here, because if <laughs> if that kid falls out of there, then then that that's a horrifying <laughs> scene. So that was a good point. Well, it's uh, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, we keep talking about similarities between coronavirus, COVID nineteen, and what's going on in Jaws. Mm-hmm. That is hydroxychloroquine, the tiger shark. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the fool's gold. Yeah. So if well, you, if you're going to bring this shark out and you're going to yeah. tout it in front of everybody and say we've caught the shark, you've got to prove that it really is a shark at a right. high cost. Sure, sure. And and the mayor wasn't objecting to cutting it open. He was just objecting to cutting it open on the dock. Well, I haven't watched the movie in a while, but 
but correct me if I'm wrong, but they had to sneak into the building where the Stark, where the shock, where the shark was being stored uh, in the middle of the night and cut it open to find out that it had license plates and other stuff. I guess that's true. I don't, I don't think the mayor ever intended mm. for them no. to have access to the shark. To yeah, you could be right. No, he did not. Sharks. Well, the, the, the other part that kind of does get him off the hook is that, that Hooper loses the tooth, right? Because in the book, he finds a tooth and he shows it to him. Yep. And so I, I like the fact that he that he dropped it. And I thought James might appreciate the fact that the size comparison that Hooper made was the size of a shot glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, the highlight of the movie is Dreyfus, is Richard Dreyfus. I think he is fantastic as Hooper. You like he Rorschach is a great better? he is great as Hooper. Yeah, he really is. But I, I kind of like the interplay between the three of them on the boat. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Well, and I like the you know the bonding about you know the comparing scars and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And evidently, uh, Robert Shaw like at least one night when they were recording uh, the Indianapolis thing, he was so drunk. Wow. <laughs> um, they had to do it again so there's there's parts of it where you can tell he's three sheets and other other parts where you're like okay maybe he looks lucid there but right i don't know i think i think Shaw's my favorite character <laughs> yeah i mean he's the he's the showy one right that's the showy performance uh, right and right. and really it's it's a ensemble kind of movie mm-hmm. yeah. um was it lessons from the screenplay did a did an episode or did a uh, video on jaws recently and and they also have a oh, really? podcast called Beyond the Screenplay, and they did an episode there too. Um, but I'll have to put that in the show notes. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, and you should uh, you should put a link toward the uh, the fundraiser to restore the orca. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that too. You want to talk more about that? Like any movie prop, not a lot of them have survived the last forty five years. Right. And one of the last things they did to several of the boats was beat them all to pieces so that you could partially submerge them because that's what the shark does to them. Right. So there's a project where they have found like the last surviving pieces of boat and they want mm. to fully restore it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely definitely put that in there. What, one of the other um, classic things from this movie is the dolly zoom uh, with uh, that oh, famous yeah. scene where, where Brody realizes so, that an mm-hmm. attack is happening and, and zoom it zooms right in on him. Right also. In yeah. That was oh, like, awesome. Like it, it, it backs off and zooms in at the same time so that yeah. it, it's a really cool effect. That was a yes. fantastic shot. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was cool. So, Colin, this was your first time seeing the movie. I, I presume that you liked it. I did like it. You know, we've watched, this is going to be episode, we're in the 90s easily, right? 94, yep. 95? Yeah, I think it's 94. And there are very few movies that are truly better than the source material. Mm. This is one uh... of James was like, wait, we were talking about Jurassic Park earlier. <laughs> well, we disagree about Jurassic Park. Jurassic we Park do. is so good, I would watch more of it. But right. I don't, yeah, there were parts of the book I didn't want to see. There were parts you can't of the book see it, but changed. my mind just got blown. <laughs> we heard it. Uh, like, like giving Brody an immediate motivation for going to get that shark because of what happened to his sons. Right. Right. And giving Quint a clear motivation because he was a survivor of the Indianapolis. And when you go into his, his shop, it's all full of shark jaws mm-hmm. and he's that was on rad. the hunt trying to find the one and he'll right. never find it. Sure. And yeah. it's funny because the end of the book is much more like a Moby Dick thing, right? Where they go down together. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, totally. And, and that Captain Ahab kind of feel um, yep. where, where the movie has more of a, satisfying 
summer blockbuster ending. Right. With with the exploding compressed air tank. Kaboom. That was disproved. <laughs> oh, by Mythbusters? Yes. Even using 1970s tanks? Yes. Okay. I I know that they've uh they've disproved like shooting a propane tank. Oh, oh yeah, and shooting car and shooting gasoline tanks in cars and right. all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Or trying to light gasoline with cigarettes. No, right. Yeah. But it looks yeah. cool. Yeah, they ruin everybody's fun. <laughs> I did like the fact that at least the explosion that killed the shark was not a fiery explosion. <laughs> no. Because lots of times you'll get explosions and you're like, I thought that was C4. Yeah, C4. That would have been silly. Look like a gasoline explosion. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yep. Classic movie. Definitely like it. Yes. So we about wrapped? I think so. I think so. James, mm-hmm. anything, anything further to say? Hooper didn't die. <laughs> that was another difference. And, and that's one where with the behind the scenes... Uh, you find out about the second unit that was down in Australia shooting right, right. footage of an actual great white uh, with a shark tank. Or, sorry, mm-hmm. a, a shark cage. A uh, shark cage, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. with with a scale down, a, a little person who is supposed to be Hooper to make the shark look bigger. Oh. <laughs> um, and and something went wrong in it. And the, the, like the guy who set up the tank thought, well, little people don't use as much oxygen as we do. And so like the guy <sighs> ran out of oxygen after like seven minutes. <laughs> and they had to pull him out. And then the shark went crazy and destroyed the crate. Destroyed the, the cage. The cage. And so they <laughs> oh didn't have God. any footage of the shark uh-huh. attacking the cage with the Hooper stand-in in there. And so that's when they decided that Hooper survives. Right. Because they wanted to keep, because that, that's like the only footage in the movie with a real shark. Mm-hmm. Where it's where it's going crazy and destroying the cage. So wow. that that's another one of those fascinating things that's just like, you know, no script survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I um, thought that tidbit was fantastic. That documentary was cool. It was, I, th- I would yeah. recommend watching it for everybody and anybody. I, I liked but... it when they're like swimming back together, though. I mean, it's. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. I have not read. Peter Benchley wrote a book about making the movie. And there's there's a documentary called The Shark is Still Working or something. The Sharks are still working. Um, <laughs> yes. That's about the making as well that I haven't been able to watch yet. But um, yeah, I think all those would be worth checking out. So, yeah. By the way, thank you to the two patrons. We used uh, Patreon money to buy ourselves a, a nice combo pack of Jaws. Nice. Yeah. Yep. I would still rewatch that movie over and over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, I don't yeah. know if I'd watch it like tons and tons and tons, but I like watching and learning more about it just because it's so good. Yeah. 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 This is one of those ones. I mean, when we were talking about the history with the movie, it's one that I remember seeing when I was younger, probably too young. And then mm-hmm. like catching it on like AMC one time and watching it. Mm-hmm. And then it came on another time and I watched it again. And, <laughs> and like anytime it was on, I'd, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is good stuff. Totally watching that. Yeah. 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 Um, I would James, recommend watching it too after you watch that documentary. Because it was fun to watch. So I, like I said, I was, Emily and I watched this like a month ago now or something like that. And then mm-hmm. I watched that documentary you sent to us. And then I watched Jaws again. And I thought it was really cool to watch the documentary. And then watch the movie. Yeah. And like just notice little things. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's why. That and, it, and it's also, it makes it kind of a more impressive movie knowing all the stuff that they went through. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was a gamble, right? And it paid off. Yeah. So, it could have been Waterworld. Yeah, pretty much. Spielberg <laughs> thought he was he was never going to work again. Um, well, and then some of some of the oddball stories about the post production. They filmed the scene where uh, 
Oh, right. They come the up to thing. the boat in the middle of the night and the guy's head mm-hmm. floats out. Right. They filmed that in the swimming pool of the film editor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and dumped milk in the water to make it yep. murky. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm yeah. like, oh, man. So many things like that. Yeah. Well, it would be remiss before signing off if we didn't lavish a little more praise on the score, which is amazing, of course. Oh, yes. John Williams. Yeah. Well, and the pushback he got, because he said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Two notes. Do-dum. That's it. That's all you're going to do. Oh, no, there's a little bit more. Do-dum, do-dum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now it's it's uh, it's cultural. If yeah. you've never seen the movie, you can still go up and tell somebody that that yeah. phrase, and they know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing how culturally saturated this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I just like the fact that we did we did something that Colin liked for once. <laughs> <laughs> well no, there was the book. Yeah, there was the book. Um so speaking of which, Wait, we should probably rank no, I'm just kidding. I think we I should. can guess Colin's rankings. I, I have to go movie book. Like I said, it it's it goes beyond the Stephen King limit of 120 pages. And yeah. what they took out uh, required other changes and allowed other changes to make place, and it worked mm-hmm. across the board. Right. Yep. Adaptation means change. Not all change is good, but sometimes it is. Yes. What about you, James? Music movie book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Score movie book. Uh, yeah, I go movie book too. I mean, I liked I liked the book, and you know, if he hadn't written it, the movie doesn't happen. And and uh, right. you know, cinema history is different. Who knows if we even get Steven Spielberg? Oh my goodness! Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, he had a free then. ticket after this movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because he made 1941 not too long after this and still mm-hmm. became Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I've never heard anything good about it either. So, Isn't that also with Richard Dreyfus? I don't remember. Huh. I, I'm not knowing. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have ranked him. So I think we're wrapped about that. We do need to decide what we're going to do next. Because Colin's idea is, hey, let's stick with the pandemic uh, relevant stuff and and do world war z <laughs> yes i'm gay well yeah <laughs> we we could do world war z we could do something else world war z as they'd say in the, the world war in z UK yeah or canada well or... we, yes. we do still have requests to do uh flowers for algernon charlie yes well you know what we should do is find out uh, our, our library is now more accessible so we can we can expand the uh, list of materials we can actually do i think I think at least one of the Flowers for Algernon adaptations is a TV movie. Yes. So oh, wow. still possible that it can be found. So we'll, we'll do that research and, and figure it out. Because, you know, we do want to, to have Michael on do an episode. That'd be fun. Yeah, Michael's vast. Yes, Michael's a good dude. So Right. All right. Uh, why don't we go ahead and sign off? Yeah. yeah. You have a blessing for us, Seth? Uh, how about we sign off with the classic blend, the blessing? I almost said blending. usually james is the one who's blended true all right so until next time thanks for listening uh i'm not going to give all the ways you can contact us if you're listening to this presumably you know how to find us (laughs) we're on twitter we're on facebook we have a website true we do so all right until next time may the road rise up to meet you and may the book always fall open to where you left off and it is safe to go back in the water depending on the state of you know your lockdown (laughs) Just keep your mask dry. Right. (laughs) Yes. Bye, everybody.